You guys, I'm so excited for you to be able to hear from the man who is going to be bringing the message to you today as we continue our series and our discussion on fighting for unity. If you missed last week, I had the joy of sharing the stage with my wife, Kelly, as we talked to you about how to fight for unity in marriage. Uh, it was a fun time we had. It was a very practical message. And if you missed it, I would encourage you to check it out either on our podcast or by watching it on our YouTube channel. Uh, but today we're gonna shift gears and talk about how do we fight for unity amongst races? What does racial unity look like in the church? And what is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to be ministers and carriers of this message of reconciliation? And not only has this guy lived and taught this message for decades, but this church literally would not be here with the guy that you're, without the guy that you're gonna hear from today. I'm talking about Craig McLeod, who is the founding pastor of Life Church Buffalo, founded this church. Founded this church in 2006 and led it for 10 years until God pressed upon his heart that it was time to pass the baton. And uh, he's kind of the guy that you need to blame if you don't like the fact that I'm your pastor. Because it was his idea, really it was God's idea. He called me up back in 2015 and asked me and my wife to pray about moving back to Buffalo. We were living in Columbus at the time to be a, you know, to come back and, you know, help lead and eventually take over the church and, uh, you know, lead it into the future that God has for us. And of course, we've experienced tremendous growth since then. And uh, since that time, he has become the national director of HBI Global Partners, an international missions organization where he travels the country talking to pastors and church leaders about what God is doing in the other parts of the world and how we in North America, North America can be a part of helping to fulfill the Great Commission all around the world. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know the impact of your faithful generosity. Because as you've heard us say so many times, we take 10% of every dollar that comes into this ministry, put it into a separate account, which we use to fund all of our missions and outreach efforts, locally, nationally, and internationally. There are three arms of our missions and outreach strategy and a large percentage of our inter international missions arm goes to supporting Craig to help him do what he does and to supporting the training of 10 pastors in a region of India, India called Andhra Pradesh. And for the last several years, Craig has kind of been bugging me a little bit to join him on one of these trips to India to kind of get catch a vision for what our church is a part of and what we're making possible for these 10 church planters who are literally each going to plant 10 churches over the period of seven years, representing 100 churches that will lead thousands of people to Christ. That's all happening because of your faithful generosity. And uh, so after the first couple of years of being reluctant to go across the ocean, which I've never done before in my life, uh, a few months back, I just felt like the Lord kind of pressing on my heart, Pete, it's time you stop making excuses. It's time you go with Craig to India. And so uh, this week, I'm gonna be hopping on a plane with him and heading 14 hours to India. I'm excited to see what God is doing in that part of the world and to bring back a report of the impact of your generosity. And, you know, I'm just excited for you to hear from him today as he tackles this topic. And, you know, he is not only my pastor because every pastor needs a pastor. And when I'm struggling, he's the guy I call. When I need encouragement, I call Craig and I say, man, I need help. This pastoring thing is hard. But more than that, I have the privilege of calling him my friend. And I cannot wait for you to hear his heart. And I want you to extend the warmest Life Church Buffalo welcome and show some honor to my friend and my pastor, Craig McLeod. Will you come and bring God's word? Thank you. Thank you. I'll sit down. 
<laughs> you don't know how much I appreciate that. I told Pete when I came up, this is my third service. I said, I got to admit, this feeds my soul every time I have because I love you so much. I love this church. Yeah. And I love Pete and Kelly so much. Um, and I love the legacy that you're about to accomplish. And I know we got to do some brick and mortar, but I'm telling you, I'm so excited about the people that are not here yet. Yes, amen. And what God is going to do in their lives and through their lives to change the world around them. Well, I've been given a task. You know, I'm, I'm, sometimes we'll go to a place, I'm in churches all over the country, and then primarily India, and... Uh, and I, sometimes I preach what I want, and sometimes they tell me what to speak on. And so I've been charged to speak on this problem. It is not an easy one. Anytime you say race in this world or racial issues, there are, there are so many different emotions that, that come up. And it's a very difficult issue, harder than a lot of us realize and so I want us to pray, and then uh, we're going to dive in um, because I, I'm, I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you to think differently than you thought before, maybe change the kinds of words that come out of your mouth and how you view things so that we'll begin to take action like we never have before. So let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, you know how big this giant is. Oh my, it's so huge. And yet, Lord, you have equipped us with the weaponry of young David to slay the Goliath, to slay the giant, to cut off the head of that demonic being that is stirring up hatred, stirring up prejudice, stirring up rejection. And so, Father, I, I plead, Lord, with you today, help us get beyond that and make a difference. Now, Lord, open our hearts that we can see what we haven't seen before today and do what we haven't done before. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to answer four questions. Why do we need this? Why do we need to talk about this? What is the problem? What is the answer? What can I do? Why, why do we need to talk about this? Well, to begin with, the problem may be different than what you think, bigger than what you think. Um, we have to take a look at our own culture for a minute. Now, if you are a, primarily a lighter-skinned person like myself... Um, what you might call a white American, then you have been living in what you perceive as the majority. But if you have a baby right now, and that baby, uh, when that baby graduates from college in the U.S., the majority will no longer be the majority. The minority like uh, the, the, the groupings of the minority groups will be, will be uh, more than the majority. 
And so our, our nation is changing. You go to New York City right now, there are over 700 languages in New York City. We live in a different world. And I know you know this, um, but when I grew up, it was a black and white issue. We, we really, when we thought about race, we really didn't think about anything else, at least where I was back in the 60s, 70s. Um, it was a black and white issue. I had a really a, a God-assigned relationship that set my course as a, as a child. I, I grew up uh, in a community that was extremely prejudiced racial. Listen, the, um, the, the national leader of the KKK lived in our county. Uh, our schools didn't integrate until 1969. I think it was in the 50s when the Supreme, Court, the Supreme Court said we needed to do this. It took us a long time to get there. And so uh, I grew up in a very uh, hot uh, racial atmosphere. But when I was a young kid, I didn't know anything about that. And my parents both worked and they hired this lady to come and take care of me when I came home from school, uh, cook dinner for me, uh, make sure I stay out of trouble, discipline me. Now she, she didn't put her hand on me to discipline me. All she had to do was, all she, all she had to do was to say, I'm going to tell your daddy when he gets home. And when she said that, I straightened up, but she kept me, she kissed me. I kissed her. I mean, it was, she was like my other mother. That's what, that's exactly the way I felt about her. Lil was her name. And so, uh, God gave me that. And so there was something in my early dynamic where I didn't really see color as, I mean, I knew there were, there was a different color. She was a different color, but I didn't think of her as being so different. And really, if you think about it, most, all people in the world have more similarities actually than they do. This is a scientific statement, have actually far more similarities than they do differences. And color is one of the minor differences that we have uh, among each other. And so I felt that I didn't feel this big wall between she and me. And so, but as I grew up, that changed. As I grew up, uh, it was everywhere. Um, as I grew up, I was playing outside, playing basketball, and I'd see this guy playing down the street. I was about one block from a road that we called, if you were, lived on the other side of that road, it was the other side of the tracks. And people over there were of a darker shade than I was. Uh, but there was a, a guy over there, he's tall, he's played basketball, he looked really good, and I invited him to come over and play basketball with me. And so he would come over in the afternoons and play basketball, and uh, we'd, you know, just have a good time together. And, you know, I did what you're supposed to do. You know, as a Christian, you're supposed to invite people to church. So I invited people to church. See, here's the problem. Here's one of the major, this is why we have to deal with this issue. Because we think we don't have prejudice. We think we don't have prejudice. And the truth of the matter is, even if, even if you've worked as hard at it as I have, and I tell people, I think, although I know better, that I don't have prejudice against anybody, because it's not about color now. Prejudice is a huge issue. It's a sin issue, and it's really sly. It's a lie, but it's a sly lie. And sometimes you don't even know you have it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you. 
And so, but I need to do this because I know, I know I'm not the only one that deals with this. But one day, just in the last year, I was at a church and um, I speak and I also meet with groups and we were with a group of people and we, I was around this certain table and sitting across the table with me was a man who was affected by albinism and he had a wife and two kids. Uh, they were, uh, doesn't matter, but they were, you know, lighter skin like me, but so, you know, and, uh, and he, he was almost that white, although there really is no that white, but he was almost that white. And when I, when I looked at him, see, it shouldn't make a difference, but when I looked at him, there was something back here behind me that was in my life as a kid and how people would treat and what they would say and the views that would be spoken over me. And that little thing just kind of showed up. I mean, I don't think I, I didn't feel like, you know, any less than love for him or anything like that. But you know what I'm talking about. It's just, it just kind of comes up and says, oh yeah, those thoughts, those feelings, because that's not sin. It's what you do with it when it gets there. And so, you know, immediately I thought, I can't believe, I can't believe I even thought those thoughts. I felt horrible that I even had thought the thoughts, even though I didn't do it consciously. He opened his mouth and we engaged in conversation. He was a man of God. We had this deep theological discussion. and He was a leader. He's a friend, but I, I knew, I knew, see, that this problem doesn't just go away. So don't tell me. I'm completely free of prejudice. Don't tell me that. Because I probably won't believe it. Because we're just susceptible. And it might not be about color. It might be something else. Some, you know, some part of the culture that you've just, you know. Now, that's when I grew up, though, it was black and white. And, uh, In 1969, my school uh, integrated. I was a freshman. It was horrid. Fights, rejection, hatred. Go watch the film, Remember the Titans. It's my favorite because that was just right during that time and it was just like my school, what, what happened there. And I hated it. I didn't know what to do about it, but I hated it. Then I, my junior year, I decided to run for student body president. And I decided that my platform would be unity between black and white. And so, no, 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 don't clap. And so I worked hard at this. And so we had, um, I did a posters. And the posters were two arms and hands grasping like this. And I used the magic marker. One was black and one was white. And I put them all over the school. And everybody was like, oh, man, what does he mean by that? And what's he going to do? I mean, even both sides were like, you know, what's he up to? What's, well, I didn't know. I mean, I didn't have a plan. <laughs> I just hated it. And so I put these posters all over the place. And, and I want you to know that I won the election. Whoa, whoa, wait. I was the only one who ran, by the way. 
<laughs> when I planted a church in North Carolina, I had a relationship with a pastor in the city, and he was an awesome man. He had a true international church. You know what a multicultural church is? A multicultural church is a church that where there's not a, a, a group of people, a people group that represents more than 80% of the congregation. So if you can accomplish that, that's called a multicultural church. But there are only, in America, of all the churches, only 6% can be called multicultural. And really, that bar is kind of low, and yet only 6%. And so we've got a problem. And it's not that some churches, you know, they're in, they live in a location where there's not a lot of, you know, uh, not a lot of different cultures, so they're not going to be able to accomplish that. But listen, listen, there is a call on us, and I'm going to show you that call that we have to do something about that. Because you think, no, you should just let things be the way they are. It's, it's, what's terrible about this thing is that Sunday morning is still the most segregated time in America. That's the problem. We're not demonstrating what ought to be demonstrated. And so this Garlington Hunt was his name. He was a wild man, radical. He was a black panther who had come to Christ and was a dynamic preacher of the gospel, young. And he and I had a television program called The Gospel in Black and White. Now, what we did was, it was radical. We're talking 80s at this point, no, maybe 90s. And so, uh, we would pick up the newspaper and we'd find some racial issue. And for the first third of the program, we would describe this problem and issue. We'd, we'd research it and find out what was going on. The, for the rest of the program, two-thirds of the program, we would literally open the Bible and we'd say, now, what does the Bible say about this? Not... Not left and right, Republican, Democrat, not black and white. It, it was, what does the Bible say about this? And what would happen is that we would bring things out of the scripture to apply, and he would offend the black community, and I would offend the white community. I got hate mail, and he got hate mail. It was fun. It was really exciting. I mean, I loved it. I would get a letter and go, man, that's awesome. I mean, I was just like, maybe we're doing something, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I loved it. And one day, my kids, I, they were homeschooled, and then I took them to a Christian school that was well-known in the area. And uh, I went to the principal before uh, I put them in there, and I said, no, listen, um, I, I, gotta, I have a problem I need to talk to you about. I don't see anybody here of a different color. Why? And he was a newer principal, and he said, well, you know, I, would, I mean, I would like that. I said, well, how about will you let me give you some suggestions? He didn't know me from a hole in the wall. And he said, well, okay, you know, whatever. And so, so I said, uh, listen, uh, I said, uh, this was a little later on after he knew me better. I said, I've got a friend named Garlington Hunt. He's got a powerful church in the city. And I said, how about we have him come and speak in chapel. Here, see, here, here's what you don't know, is that that school in the 60s was built by Christians, by churches that did not want to face integration. Now, that's the South that I grew up in. And so, there was a wall there. 
And that wall, this is like the 90s, and the wall's still there. Now, that generation of youth really didn't know that was a wall, but it was there. And so we, we had Garlington Hunt come first ever black, anything other than light skin, preach in chapel. It was awesome. He, he had them. He was talking about his Black Panther days. You know, he got all, all this stuff. And then by the end of the message, he's got them screaming out. I mean, the teachers were like, ugh. He had them screaming out, I love black people. I love black people. It was awesome. <laughs> Before I left, they had finally hired, finally hired a person, uh, a teacher who was of a darker shade. I don't know what's happening there, but we've got to do something. We have to do something. Um, let me tell you the real problem. Here's the real problem. The real problem is God has a strategic plan. He has a very specific, clear strategic plan. And hell knows it. So hell has a diabolical plot. So first I'm going to give you the plan. Acts chapter 17. And I'm going to go quickly through several scriptures that some of them are you familiar with. This one you may not be. The apostle Paul said this in front of some scholars. I'm just going to read verse 26. And then 28. And he's speaking of God. He says, and he, God, has made from one blood every people group. The word nation, and in most places, does not even mean a geographical location on the map. It means a people group, culture, different language. They, they, they celebrate things differently than the people down the street or across the world. And so these are people groups who associate with one another. And he said, he is made from one blood. I'm going to challenge your concept of color today. But we all bleed red. One blood, every nation of men to dwell on the face of on all the face of the earth. He didn't leave anybody out when he said that. For in him, and I love this verse 28, I have to read it because, for in him we live in Christ, in God. We live and move and have our being. That's who we are. There is a human race. We are all a part of the human race. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. For God, he didn't leave anybody out, did he? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is on mission and he will not stop until he accomplishes his mission. Many will reject him, but he is after every single person in every corner and part of this planet. 
every color. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the people groups. And then the end will come. Listen, the gospel of the kingdom as a witness being preached, it's not just telling or speaking. The witness is a demonstration. The gospel of the kingdom is not just the telling of how you can get saved. The kingdom is a lifestyle that is led by and ordered by the king. It's a way of life. It's how we live. It's how we do things. And it's different than all other cultures. Did you know in the end, and you can go study this, you won't even understand it probably, but in Revelation it says that that all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. What does that mean? I, we can talk about that later. <laughs> he is after every culture. So what he's done is he has said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth in, in these, all these other cultures and kingdoms. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wants you to live out by the lordship and leadership of Christ, the king. Live out a demonstration of what heaven's going to look like. That's what he wants. On this earth, let me tell you what heaven's going to look like. Look at Revelation 5. Look at the end of verse 9. I'll just go straight to the end. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation... This is what it's going to look like out of, say, every, every, every tribe, tongue and people and nation. Remember the young man last year who went to an island and uh, he, he prepared himself for five years and he was going to preach the gospel to these people. Hardly anybody that had ever gone there came out alive. John Chow was his name. And he went, got shot at with arrows and spears, and went back to the boat and spent the night praying. He couldn't leave. And he goes back the next day, and all we know is somebody said in the boat that left, said they saw them burying him on the beach. Why did he go there? This island was an island that for centuries people have tried to go there. Either they're killed or they have to leave. And, and, the, and this group is, you could call them aborigines if you want, because, you know, they just go way back and they have no interaction with the rest of the world. They have no gospel. And so, uh, um, so the government has said you can't go there. And so how can they be reached? Here's, here's the problem. The problem is every tribe and that tribe, they're actually on those islands belong to India. They're over, it's across the water to where Myanmar, Thailand, but those, there's Andaman Islands and he is, his, there's, that little island is there and it belongs to India. And so long story that I won't tell, but I got involved. And so uh, last August, I actually got on a plane and landed in the main island, which is only 25 miles from the island where he was killed. And there are five groups like that in that region. 
I actually had the privilege of driving through one of those people groups. And uh, they couldn't stop and they wouldn't let me take a picture. They kept saying, if you take a picture, you're seven years in jail. They said it 10 times. And I kept saying, I'm not going to take a picture. <laughs> and, and I saw some of these people. And I met with pastors, not many, just a few missionary guys, not many Christians in that region. And, uh, and I met with them and found out what they were doing and where their heart was and where their prayer life was. Because I, I just wanted to know. I don't know how God's going to use it, but I just wanted to know. And so I just came away just overwhelmed by that. But every one of those tribes, somebody must represent them at, at the throne of God. And these tribes are all of a very dark, almost that dark, skin, even though they are on Indi in Indian territory. And that's part of the problem. That's part of the problem. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now this, remember Jesus saying, so a lawyer says, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Remember that? And he said that, and it was the greatest commandment in the old covenant. But just a couple of days later, you can figure this out. Just within that week, Jesus is, has his disciples together. This is the last week of Christ. And uh, when he was on earth, well, before the cross, and so Jesus was talking to his disciples and he, he said to them, now, it's almost like you said, now, I, I know you heard I said that was the greatest commandment in the old covenant. To love your neighbors yourself. I got, I got news for you. My, my neighbors are in trouble some days because I don't love myself very much. How about you? And so Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another, not as you love yourself, but as I have loved you. He lifted the bar. And he said, now, learn to love one another the way I love you. Now, I don't know. Did you, have you figured out how God loves you? Woo! He looks past a, a lot of junk, doesn't he? His love never changes. And then he says, by this, all will know. Somebody say all. All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We've got something to demonstrate to the world. And if we can't love one another, they'll never discover what that love is. They've got to see it. You're the demonstration. We're the demonstration. And our enemy knows that. And he's... He's, he's, he has poured lies into our culture and into our society. Remember Darwin and evolution? And Darwin actually said there are different origins, and so, you know, this one race is better than the other. The name of the book was On, on the Origin of Species. You've been taught that in schools, but did you know there was a, 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 a subtitle on the book, a subtitle? the preservation of favored races and the struggle for life. We already had racism and he legitimized it with a theory that is, has 
permeated our culture. And I grew up in a place that was affected by that. Hitler took that specific teaching and justified killing six million Jews. It was that teaching. How, you know how the devil works. He says something, and then he says it again, and he says it again, and he says it again, and he says it again. You didn't believe it at first, but then it comes here. And, this, and he says it, you know, very close to the truth, but it's actually a lie way over here. And he says it again, says it again, says it again. And our whole culture just has just drunk it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's truth. That's fact. That's how the, that's the devil's plot. I just want to take a second and talk about color and just say that, you know, color is, is melanin. It's the pigmentation of the skin. And, and actually, there is no black and white or, you know, let's sing a little song, okay? You finish it. I'll start it. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are Jesus loves the little children of the world. Okay, I grew up in Sunday school and they taught that song. I want you to go around the whole world and show me where there is anybody that is red or yellow or even black or white. Do you notice there's a difference between that color and that color? We're all brown, just different shades. We're one race for crying out loud. So I'm challenging you, get rid of the word race. A darker shade. A darker shade, a lighter shade. Some have more melanin than others. That's all there is to it. And listen, all of that came from the original Adam and Eve. The DNA that produces that, and then through Noah's family. It came from there. I got a book for you to read. Just put it there quickly and go look for it. It's called One Race, One Blood, Ken Ham, Charles Ware. Ken Ham is of the lighter shade. Charles Ware is of the darker shade. Now, I've got to close. What is the answer to all of this? I'm going to go straight to the real core answer. It's a four-letter word, so don't be offended. Love. It's not rocket science. The answer is love. The problem is that we have reserved our love. We have categorized and put boundaries around our love. That's the problem. Or we've trapped our love because of insecurity, fear, what would happen if I actually got uncomfortable in that situation. I, this is my third service, but I, I don't know if I'll be, when I go to India, I didn't say this, did I? when I go to India and these um, pastors, church planters. In, the, in August, we have a big conference and they come and the first time I went, I, ma- I made a mistake, a huge mistake. 
Don't make this mistake. When you go there and there are hundreds of pastors under our shelter and we have this conference going all week. And I went out there and I look and all these guys are standing there. Of course, they're worshiping. And, but some of them are real frail and maybe don't have shoes or, you know, they're all clean and, you know, they've got good clothes on, decent clothing. I mean, that wasn't like, but they, they, a lot of them are uneducated. There's so many different languages. You can't even talk to them. Many of them just, didn't, they don't even know how to read. And so your first impression is to do something really bad. It is to feel sorry for them. Don't do that. Don't do that. These guys are planting 10, 20, some of them 50, 60 churches. One guy that was there who sat in my class as this, I'm supposed to teach him has planted over 500 churches. He's my age. He's the Apostle Paul of this generation. I couldn't even, I could hardly teach the class with him sitting there. And, and I thought when I went that I was going to, you know, I was going to train people and teach them what I know. And I, I, I realized who I was with and I had them tell me stories. And I stood there and I realized, and now this will be my 10th trip. When I go now, it's teach me, train me, help me understand that spirit and what you're willing to do. Because they don't, they don't feel sorry for themselves when they're persecuted or their spouse is killed by radical Hindus. No, 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 no. And they won't let you feel sorry for them. They rejoice in the Lord, a joy that comes way down here that nobody understands. Mrs. Raglan was this lady in the lunchroom who uh, in, this was 1969. No, this would have been earlier than that because the, the school was not yet integrated. I was in the seventh grade. 67, I guess. And she was one of two cafeteria workers that were of the darker shade and, and in the whole school. We had not yet integrated. And this guy challenged me to do something. It was stupid. And I took salt, and I went up and stood to the side. She was taking the dishes, you know. It's the salt story. Some of you have heard it. I'm not going to tell the whole story, okay? Because I've told it so many times. But listen, I've written it, and I'm going to publish it. It's my story. And I, I took the salt and I threw it in her face on a dare and ran out the door. I was a Christian, by the way. And later, it's a long story, but here's why. I, 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 I went under incredible conviction, went to the principal, went to my parents. I saw my father cry for the first time. And he was a tough disciplinarian. That was worse than any spanking. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened. And he looked up at me and he said, well, you know what you've got to do, son? You've you got to go to Miss Ragland. You have to go apologize. And so 
I crossed that line, other side of the tracks. By the way, that young boy that I took to church, this was his grandmother. And I walked up to the uh, door, I knocked, screen door, knocked on the door, nobody in the living room. She sticks her head back from the kitchen and says, come in. Now, just down the road, there was a huge sign with a guy on a white horse with a sheet over him and a cone hat and eyes on the sheet. And it was rearing up in the sky or in the air and across the top of the billboard, this is KKK country. That's, that's the town I grew up in. And I, I walked in there scared spitless. And I, I stood, I walked in her kitchen. She didn't look at me. I walked in her kitchen. I stood on the other side of that table and I looked at her and I said, Miss Raglan, my knees were shaking. I'm the one who threw salt in your eyes. Will you please forgive me? And uh, she, you know, was doing her biscuits. And uh, without looking at me, she said, honey, I forgave you the moment, the moment you done it. And then she looked up at me and cracked a smile. Now, I was saved when I was six. But for the first time in my life, I knew what it felt like to be saved from sin. The sin just lifted off of me. I was so free. Rode home on my bicycle and learned how to ride without holding on to the handlebars. I was praising God, you know. What is it going to take? Here's what it's going to take. It's going to take crossing the barrier and going to the uncomfortable place and learning somebody else's culture, loving them in the midst of it. You know, there's no culture out there that's perfect. And listen, you know, we cannot compromise with what culture hands us. But we live in another culture called the kingdom of God. And that culture will infiltrate all other cultures. And it will not destroy the beauty of each culture. No, celebrate the beauty of each culture. I came to this city 1981 to 1982 the first time. I had a big southern accent, you know. And what I discovered was I felt more comfortable with the darker skinned people because they cook collard greens. <laughs> and I grew up on it. I actually identified with their culture more than I did with the Italians and the Polish and the, I didn't, I, I thought I was in Europe. I remember going seeing a, a graveyard where every stone had a ski at the end of the name and I couldn't figure it out. I was on a different planet. Listen, it's not about color. There was a, 
we had our uh, festival. I, I think that's what we called it at the time. And it was back here. I know you have big ones up front. Now we had one back here. And uh, Burke Glazer Jr., who's part of this church, a lot of people know him. Um, Burke brought a friend from work. He was actually, they worked at City Hall, but, um, but he, he also was a pastor in the city. And he brought him back and introduced him to me. And uh, it was cool, you know, we had a few minutes to talk. That was cool. And this guy left. And, you know, he was of another shade. He's almost that shade. He's close to that shade. And he's also really like, you know, a little intimidating. And then a few days later, I get a phone call. Hey, Pastor Craig. Yeah? This is the John Motley. Remember we met DeMott? Remember when we met behind the church the other day? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, re- I remember. I-, I got something to say to you. I love you. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. And then he hung up. (laughs) I thought, this is weird. This is either a kook or I want to get to know him. And I I researched first to find out who he was. (laughs) And he's very respected, like in a very different kind of way in the city. His father's very respected. I wanted to get to know that man, and we have. Just had breakfast with him yesterday again, and he, every time we're together, I love you and there ain't nothing you can do about it. I know I've gone a little bit past here. You're the third, sir. I'll just quickly tell you, Demont walked into a house the other day where there was a woman that he had been trying to lead to Christ, that family, and she was into drugs and all kinds. She went crazy. She had a knife. She wanted to kill somebody. The police were standing in the house with their guns drawn. And Demont walks in. You got to picture this. He's got his hood. He's got his big boots. He doesn't look like a preacher. And he walks in and he says to that woman, hey, and he calls out her name. He says, come on now. And he starts laughing. And he starts loving on her. And she drops to the floor. Oh, Demon, I'm so sorry. And she just broke. It was like the release of a demonic oppression or possession or something. And that lady's been in this church. It wasn't the other day because that lady's been in this church for two years now. And she's strong in the Lord. He's a bold character. Somewhere along the way, we've got to be intentional. Somewhere along the way, we've got to cross the cultural line and have an attitude that says, I love you and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Because that's what Jesus says to you every day. Whatever you've done, whatever you've said, whatever problems you have, whatever sin you're facing, he's still standing there going, I love you and there ain't nothing you can do about it. And I'm going to help you if you let me. But this love position is not going to change. That's love one another, Jesus said, as I have loved you. That will change the world. 
And it'll also change the church first. Somehow we've got to do it. We've got to cross the cultural divides. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the power of the cross, the blood that was shed, the red human blood, the perfect sacrifice, the righteous one who paid the price for sin and said, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, raise up your church that we would reach beyond our cultural walls and get uncomfortable and express that kind of love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that challenging word, Pastor Craig. Can we give it up for him? So good.